now. Scotland's talking. Call 0333-2020-401 and join the debate. Hello, good morning and welcome to this week's edition of Scotland's Talking. I'm Ali Bally on the programme between now and midday. Should Brexit go into extra time? I've lost count of the number of times the Prime Minister has come to this House to explain a further delay. We're supposed to be leaving the European Union in less than a month. But now the Prime Minister says she'll give MPs the chance to put that date back if they don't support her agreement and reject no deal. If he wants to end the uncertainty and deal with the issues he raised in his response to my statement, then he should vote for a deal. Simples. So with 26 days to go, what would you do? Also on the programme, does it matter what your taxi driver is wearing? Some cabbies claim they've been pulled over by the police for not being dressed smartly enough. And would you like to Skype your doctor instead of going to the surgery? How are they going to really know what's wrong? We just uh, have a deal chat. That's a great idea. You don't have to spend time in the surgery. No, no, my cup of tea, love. I like person to person. Does medicine and modern technology mix? It's all coming up on Scotland's Talking. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to hear from you. It's all about opinions. We're looking for yours on 0333 2020 401. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. And in four weeks' time, we should no longer be members of the European Union. Now, note the use of the word should, because Brexit has become all about ifs. Buts and maybes. Theresa May says the second vote on her withdrawal deal will happen before the 12th of March, which, in my reckoning, is just over two weeks before the Brexit deadline. Now, if MPs vote no again, then she says they will be asked to decide whether they want to rule out a so-called no-deal Brexit. And if they do, they'll get another vote on whether to extend the deadline beyond the 29th of March. All of which she says she's against. Let me be clear. I do not want to see Article 50 extended. Our absolute focus should be on working to get a deal and leaving on the 29th of March. An extension beyond the end of June would mean the UK taking part in the European Parliament elections. What kind of message would that send to the more than 17 million people who voted to leave the EU nearly three years ago now? And the House, the House should be clear that a short extension, not beyond the end of June, would almost certainly have to be a one-off. If we had not taken part in the European Parliament elections, it would be extremely difficult to extend again. So it would create a much sharper cliff edge in a few months' time. An extension cannot take no deal off the table. The only way to do that is to revoke Article 50, which I, which I shall not do, or agree a deal. don't know if you've noticed when politicians say, let me be clear, they're anything but, usually. And there's quite a lot of them do that. They use that saying, let me be clear. Let the House be clear. Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn has finally come out in favour of a second referendum after his alternative plans for staying in the customs union and the single market 
were voted down. I've lost count of the number of times the Prime Minister has come to this House to explain a further delay. They say, Mr Speaker, history repeats itself, first time as tragedy, second time as farce. By the umpteenth time, it can only be described as grotesquely reckless. This is not dithering, it's a deliberate strategy to run down the clock. The Prime Minister is promising to achieve something she knows is not achievable and is stringing people along. Hmm, interesting. So, with the deadline approaching fast and no certainty where we'll be in a month's time, do you want to delay Brexit? Or do you think we should all be asked whether or not we've changed our minds? Would you be in favour of a second vote? What would that say to the people who voted to get out, as the Prime Minister said, three years ago? It's been a long three years as well. Where would you like it to go now, apart from go away? Let me know. Treble three twenty twenty four oh one. It's all about conversation, as we say, and opinions, and we're looking for yours on Brexit. It's getting very close, but it looks as though it just may continue going on and on because the politicians can't agree. But is it a case of the vote was taken three years ago? Let's just get on with it. But what about all the the warnings from the economists and the employers and the companies who may say they... They're moving headquarters out of the UK and the loss of jobs because of that. Where do you stand on it now? What would you be recommending to your MP now? How to vote? What would you be saying to them you want them to do on your behalf? 033-2020-401 is the number. You can also contact us by text. The text number is 61054. Start your message with Ali. You can catch us on email. Email address is ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk and we're on Twitter if you fancy tweeting and the Twitter handle is hashtag Scotland's Talking. So regarding Brexit, a couple of comments coming in. Here's one from Wally McCready. It says, take the deal on the table and get this over with. I've never heard anyone say the deals we make on trade, etc. could not be changed in the future. So you're saying take a gamble now and then just wait and see what happens. Okay, thank you very much indeed, Willie, for your comment. Uh, Joseph, good morning. Good morning, Ali. Right, what's your thoughts on Brexit then? Are you fed up of it yet? I'm sick of it, Ali. Absolutely sick of it. Because nobody's getting anywhere in this House of Commons, Ali. They're all fighting against each other and not thinking about the people that voted them in, what, what their say is. And... We already had the vote, Ali, and that's your stand, Ali. It's a democracy. They should not change it at all. That was a vote for the people, and the people voted. And I can't understand all these other parties all shouting their heads off, Ali. We want this, we want another referendum, we want this. The people voted, and that's where the end of it, Ali. You know, when you listen to um, what goes on in the Commons, you know, just listening to a couple of the, the, the pieces that we had there and all the shouting and hoorahing in the background, if, if, that was a school. The pupils would be, you know, be, you know, they would not be allowed to get away with behaviour like that. It's, it's, a rab- it's a rabble, isn't it? Ali, they're not even understanding each other. You know what I mean? And the Scottish nationalists, and they're getting laughed out of it. Every time they open their mouth, Ali, they, they get laughed right down, and the other ones are all shouting at them, and they're not getting anywhere at all. And this, this is the independence is back on the table again, a new currency. Why is it the Scottish nationalists come out with that and we can't even get out of Brexit yet? 
So that's that's a different subject this week. But I, I hear what you're saying. You know, but you're saying that the Scottish nationalists get laughed down, etc., when they get up and Aye. speak. But um, do you not think at least they're there putting our our Scotland's point of view forward? Ian Blackwood never seems to be uh, sitting on his backside. He's always standing. Yeah, up I know he's, he's always up, but Ali. But it, 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 there's nothing that, since day one, Ali. There's not nothing been going forward. This is it. Seemed to be caught in that. Would you call it as an name for it again? You're caught in that limbo alley. Yeah, catch-22. Catch-22 alley, and they're talking about the same thing over and over and over, and it's not going anywhere, alley. Right, so if you were to speak to your MP now, what would you be telling him or her? Stop all this squabbling and get the deal done with OK, Joseph, thank you. William, good morning to you. Good morning, Ollie. How are you this morning? Oh, tickety-boo, Willie. How's yourself? I'm great, Ali. I think this is a fantastic talking boy. Oh, so do I. It keeps me keeps me busy on a Sunday morning anyway. <laughs> oh, Ali, you'll not like me the day then, big man. <laughs> right, go, go for it then. Come on. Well, I'll tell you what, Ali. My opinion of the whole job is we should get out of Europe as quick as possible. This country voted for out. We should get behind our Prime Minister, Theresa May, she has picked up a poison chalice from David Cameron. Now, our leader for the Labour Party at the present moment, I don't have a lot of respect for Amali. You say at the present moment, do you something know something the rest of us don't? Well, Ali, if you kind of read papers and listen to the news and all these things that are coming out, Acht. There's no lot of brains left in Scotland, mate. William, never believe what you hear in the media. Aye, <laughs> just exactly, Ali. That's it in a nutshell. Ali, we he had two Labour Prime Ministers. We had Tony Blair, and one that was really probably the best with the whole lot or where they'd been in the Vietnam War. And Harold Wilson said there would not be a British soldier would be in that war. Now, when are we stop going to be glove puppets for George Bush, Donald Trump, and all these Mickey Moose Americans? What's that, got to do What's that got to do with Brexit? Well, the bottom line, as soon as we come out of Brexit, now, the Brexit point I'm going to make, all is, I'm a farmer. Now, our farmers are on the bread line. The whole of the UK farmers are on the bread line. A lot of them's getting a lot of money for single farm payment. They are coining it in. Then you've got the hard-working farmer that's up for three, four o'clock in the morning, putting in an 18-hour day alley to put cereal, put milk, put lamb, put your roast beef on your Sunday lunch. They are killing their souls with work. Now, Ali, we he's some of the finest produce in the world. We he's some of the best water that you can ever drink. We have one of the finest nations in this world. Now, Ali, I shouldn't bring this up, but I hear a lovely gentleman, and I'll tell you his name. His name's Bob. He's got the paper shop in Whithorn. I didn't know this this morning, Ollie. I went into that shop at five to six 
That gentleman's up every morning before half past four. He said that the Scots were in India long before the English were even thought about going there. The Scots moved into India. They were there for a very long period of time and they started up a currency for the Indians to trade in. Now you think how old a nation the Indian nation is. So you're saying we should just, I mean, I, I realise you're, you're going off a tangent there, I get your point, but you're, you're still adamant that even as a farmer who probably gets subsidies from the European government somewhere along the line, you're saying we should get out. Just do Ollie, it. the bottom line, Theresa May is doing a fantastic job. See the rest of them vipers in Westminster. They should put every in of them out. And Theresa should pick people that are loyal to the Tory government. William, thank you very much indeed. That's his opinion. That's what it's all about. What is yours? Do you agree with him? Do you disagree with him? Oh, treble three, twenty twenty four oh one. Lift the phone. Don't shout at the radio. Don't just don't look at him and think to yourself, he's talking a lot of nonsense. Or are you nodding your head in agreement with what he was saying there? Let's hear your your views. O treble three twenty twenty four oh one. Here's one from uh, Andy, who's in Aberdeen. He says, uh, "My MP is a nationalist. She does not give a hoot what I want. So therefore, I am not represented by the SNP." Thanks, Andy. And here's one from Liz. If it's okay to go up against the wishes of the electorate to leave Europe, it's okay to do the same and go against the Scottish viewers, uh, voters to stay in the UK. Liz, your thoughts? Thank you. Uh, Liz Aitchison. Hi, Liz. Ali, morning. This Brexit situation is like being on a roundabout, going round and round and round. Time to get off, Mrs May, as we are getting fed up with you. Coming and going. Next step is to flush you down the loo with the rest of your excuses. Okay, Liz, thank you for that. Um, who else have we got here? There's a few more coming in. All right. Um, let me just go to this one here up on the, the text. Uh, these MPs are a joke. The people have already voted. A no deal is the best deal. All the entrepreneurs say a no deal is the best. Not all the entrepreneurs have to disagree with you there. There's uh, quite a few saying otherwise. But, you know, as I say, it's all about opinions. Keep them coming in. Treble 3 2020 You're listening to Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talking. Let's go back on the phone lines. Uh, Ina Scott, good morning. Good morning. Ina, what's your point then? I'm listening, you know, uh, to everybody speaking. And, you know, people have to remember, Ali, that these two parties are two Europhile parties. Uh, back in the day, 40-odd years ago, these are the two parties between them that handed over this country, lock, stock and barrel. Um, but, as I say, Tories first and then, uh, and then Labour. Uh, so we've only got these two parties that are and if I kid the people on, we'll kid them on that the, the way they did, the lie, choose to get us in. We'll kid them on that we're trying to get them out. And they've got no intentions 
and this is how the farce that's taken place because it is a farce. So as long as these two parties are the only two parties involved to get the country back uh, to a sovereign country as we were for hundreds of years, uh, we will be kept in uh, the dictatorship, as I call it. And what worries me is on the cusp of uh, being allowed into this dictatorship is another six countries from the Balkans, and we constantly hear about the impact of Britain leaving, and we never hear about the impact if we stay in. Not one person that I've ever spoke to on the radio when I've said about the six other countries from the Balkans that's been allowed in, they've never taken it up because they don't want the people to know that. So the farce is happening because the two Europhile parties back in the day are still in charge. But at the, the end of the day, you know, when it was voted, when when the you know the vote originally came along with was it Ted Heath wasn't it? Um, yeah. And, he, and he, to, we're getting into a common market. Yeah, a trade only. But the, but people voted for that because because they didn't say. Oh, and by the way, this is going to morph into a super state, and your rights will be down at the bottom because these unelected, unaccountable politicians that we couldn't even pronounce their names. So why would we, do you think after maybe 30 years of coming out of the Second World War that the people of Britain would have voted for a super state? I don't think so, Ali. I know that sounds a wee bit uh, melodramatic, but that's how I see it. OK, Aina, thank you very much indeed for, for your view. Let's go to Stephen Gethin, who's a European spokesman for the SNP. MP. Morning, Morning, Stephen. Ali. How are Morning, you? Morning, Ali. I'm good. good, thank you. I'm good. Good, I'm good, good. Looking forward to the football today. That's what I'm doing. But anyway. <laughs> right. Move, moving swiftly on then. Uh, right, come on. Wait, where are the SNP with this at the moment? And is it, you know, you can hear the frustration in our callers' yeah. voices this morning as well. That... Well, do you know something? I just heard your last caller, and, and I, I, didn't, I didn't catch all of her comment, unfortunately, but just, just, just to pick up on a couple of wee things from what, what the lady was saying, and I, and I know that she'll have some um, concerns, and that's understandable. I think, first of all, the European Union is not a super state. The European Union is made up of 28 separate, independent, sovereign states who put together institutions so that they collectively can make agreements. So, you know, we pull sovereignty in areas like climate change, the environment, education, trade, these things that make sense. And it's run by elected politicians. Now, I sit in a parliament in Westminster where more than half the politicians in that place are unelected in the House of Lords. You know, you've got something mm -hmm. ridiculous, like 850 unelected members of the House of Lords who make more laws and have got more influence over our day-to-day -day lives than anybody in the European Union, because the European Union sits there to serve the independent member states and let them come to decisions collectively. And we've got a European Parliament there, we've got a council made up which of the elected um, governments from around Europe and you've got the commission which is appointed by those elected governments and held to account by the European Parliament. So you're saying that as far as Europe is concerned we're getting a good deal, a better deal than we're getting from the House of Lords? 
Well, I think we almost certainly are. And also, Europe's about pulling together our sovereignty where it makes sense. So I'll give you an example. The biggest employer in my constituency, by far, is the University of St. Andrews. You know, so they're able to pool resources in terms of research and, and, um, and freedom of movement with professors and, and other fantastic researchers and making breakthroughs in certain areas of science, chemistry, fantastic work in chemistry, biology and other areas as well. But that's by pooling resources. And they also get funding from the European Union as well. And we're actually in Scotland. We get we're, we're, we're net recipients, which means that we get more funding from the EU than, if you like, per head we put into it in terms of education and research. Right. And so we're going to lose. We're, we're going to lose, lose out on that. We're going to lose out on these. I mean, I think. Look, areas like University of St Andrews will still do well. They're still good institutions. But I think the question is, will we do better inside the the, the EU, or will we be worse off? And we know from the UK government's own analysis, not my analysis, not the Scottish government's analysis, Theresa May's government's own analysis, that we'll be worse off. Where will the money come from to replace that? Not, I mean, I hear what you're saying about St Andrews yeah. University, but look at the other universities and educational establishments that get funding yeah. as well. That's just one sector. Yeah, but then if we look at our food and drink sector, now, if you look at the cost, so that's, that, that's what, and I just use that example, Ali, because it's, it's the one that's closest to home for, you know, it's, it's, it's one that's close to home. But another one that's close to home for me is the food and drink sector. Mm-hmm. Now, the customs union means that produce, you know, and we do fantastically well in food and drink in Scotland, across Scotland, and that produce can get to European markets within 24 hours. You know, it can be in restaurants, the, the meat from the fields or, 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 or fish that's landed can be in restaurants in Paris or Madrid or elsewhere because we're part of the customs union, which means it seamlessly goes through. And that's a customs union, which is part of that European Union as well. And we're, and we're talking about leaving that as well, which means delays at ports, and that means your food's not fresh, and that means that you're going to lose out to your competitors. Are you scaremongering? No, but this is a matter of fact. You know, how, how, do we know, how do we know there are going to be delays? Well, because we've been told that we can just roll over these, these, these trade agreements. We won't. Because, because the reason we are in the customs union and that it's set up like this is so that you do not have the checks. If you set up the checks, you create delays. And so much traffic goes through places like Dover and, um, and, and, and Hull and elsewhere, and even to a certain extent, um, Recife that if you hold that up, you're putting yourself at a competitive disadvantage to our competitors elsewhere in Europe. Look, the whole idea with the EU is it's brought down to bring down barriers. It reduces red tape. By leaving the EU, you're automatically throwing up red tape. Mm. And, and I've heard businesses saying that in, in this and area as well. businesses have said that. Yeah, this isn't something that's coming from, from me. This is something that's coming from businesses. And I find you know, small businesses in particular who are the ones that really benefit because small businesses don't have that big network of, of lawyers and others across, across the rest of Europe. So they rely on that reduced red tape. And actually, there was a study, and, and I know, um, at the, again, at the University of St. Andrews, so for, forgive me for the reference again, but saying that small businesses will be worse hit than bigger businesses. So an interesting few weeks ahead for everyone then. It's, it's a crucial few weeks. But look, this mm-hmm. is why we, we moved an amendment last week um, and then the week before we moved an amendment that, that, that we extend Article 50 process because it's more important to get this right. You know, I'm somebody that wants to remain, but fundamentally I think we should all be moving towards what's, what's best in our different ways, um, but also to take no deal off the table because we know no deal would be catastrophic. And we know, and we talk about 
you know, and, and you mentioned scaremongering, but actually, as, as I mentioned, this is stuff that's happening right now, and we know it's happening. And we've just blown tens of millions of pounds on a ferry contract <laughs> with no ferries <laughs> to bring in emergency supplies, which we didn't need to do. And think about what those tens of millions of pounds could have done for public services when we know that public services are stretched and we're throwing away money on 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 on, on daft um, on daft contracts like that. Stephen, I know you're pushed for time, but thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you so us. much, Ali. Thank Always you. good to talk. Thank you. All the best. Bye-bye. Uh, Stephen Gethin, MP, who is the European spokesman for SNP. Uh, let's go to James Gillespie. Hello, James. Hello there. Hi there. Your views this morning, then, on Brexit. Yeah, I, I feel that this all goes back to when uh, David Cameron offered Scotland's population a referendum on staying in the United Kingdom. Or leaving the United Kingdom. Right. Uh, I voted yes to remain in the United Kingdom because. Oh, this was, this was on the this was on the independence vote, James. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Right. Okay. I, I, okay. I voted to stay uh, uh, remain in the United Kingdom for the simple reason is the United Kingdom was already in the European Union. Right. And then I feel David Cameron couldn't my vote from there. Well, David Cameron, I don't think, I think it's well accepted. David Cameron didn't expect the vote to go the way it did, which is why you've never heard from him since that day. He's disappeared. Um, he, he yeah, was, yeah, this yeah. was, this was a, a row that was going on in the, the Conservatives, and he did this to get them off his back. He was thinking that the UK population would stay in Europe. That was his, his view. But, um, I think yeah, it's, it's 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 an awkward one in the fact that he, he he hasn't come forward. But would we have been any better if he'd stayed to finish the job? I don't know because he didn't want to 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 leave Europe, just like Mrs May doesn't want to leave Europe. Twenty minutes away from eleven. Thank you very much indeed, James. Keep those calls coming in. Then, if you have a view, it's O Treble Three on Brexit twenty twenty four o one. I'd also like to go to in a moment talking about taxi drivers and how. Police stopped a taxi driver at two o'clock in the morning, asked him to get out his car to see if he was wearing jeans. He was, and he was told to go home and change into dress trousers. Really? More about that in a minute. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. James Hayes there. Hello, James. Hello there. Good morning to you. What's your view on this then, James? My view, Ali, is that I've heard a lot of the comments uh, from your previous callers uh, regarding, you know, things that we should be discussing now that we're, uh, you know, we're wanting to leave. We shouldn't be concentrating on uh, or going over old ground about remaining. Our energy should be spent on, our energy and time should be spent on getting the best deal for Brexit, for Mm -hmm. leaving. Instead of... uh, dragging up the old ground and the country's made a we've wanted to leave and that should that should be uh, that should stand you know we should we should be leaving so we voted to leave so let's get to heck out of it that's what you're saying well it angers me when i hear all these arguments about remaining mm-hmm. i mean for us for us to remain now that that would just throw that vote out the water that we've already voted for i mean we can't possibly do that would you would you be in? Uh, I think I know the answer to this, but would you be in agreement for a second vote, or would you see that going 
then nowhere. Because those, I think those that are arguing for the, uh, for to go back to the people, and I'm not quite sure what the heck a people's vote is that they keep calling because the people have voted. Um, but if we were to go back and do it again, surely that's just in the, those that are asking for that are those who voted remain and are just hoping they might come back with a different answer. Yes, I think you're right. And I think it opens the, the floodgates again to, let's say the vote goes the opposite way. Do we then have another vote? You know, we can, we can argue on both sides for, you know, the, the pros and cons, but at the end of the day, we voted. And I think we, that should stand. And uh, we need strong politicians that are going to push this through and put all their energy, energies into getting this through. Rather than wasting time going over the old ground, I think it's really delaying and it's, it's unsettling. OK, James, thank you very much indeed for, for your view uh, today. Jan Kerr says, uh, so William, who is a farmer, was happy to accept the £169 million funding from the EU that the Scottish farmers were to get was robbed from them and went to the English farmers. What a clown he is. Thank you, Jan. It's all about opinions. Uh, Tam says, good morning, Ali. Should I renew my passport now or will it still be valid if there is no deal? I don't know if you can review it. I mean, mine is out. Mine ran out last week. And uh, so I'm, I'm going certainly <laughs> going to renew it fairly quickly just to make sure there are, there are no delays. But um, uh, I, if anybody in the, from the passport office or who has knowledge of that uh, is listening, then should we be rushing? Should we make a change or, or just carry on as normal so as not to, to cause any problems? Uh, keep the calls coming in on Brexit. I also want to talk about um, taxi drivers. And I'm not having a go at taxi drivers here. So, you know, just relax, guys and girls, who'll be sitting in their taxis at various stances at the moment listening to this. Um, I'm going back to a report in the media this week that police have been pulling over cabbies in Motherwell in the middle of the night because they've been breaking the dress code. Now... Most council have these rules. For example, the one in Renfrewshire says that men must wear a shirt and a tie, dark dress trousers and black dress shoes. On the band list are jeans, tracksuit, trainers and baseball caps. On the North Lanarkshire council one, it says a dress code was put in place uh, a number of years ago following a consultation with the taxi trade. So this is in the North Lanarkshire Council. This is their response to um, the, the police in Motherwell stopping a taxi driver and asking him to get out of his car. Uh, uh, if you did see the report on, on the Nine BBC news programme, you, you'll know what I'm talking about. So he got out of his cab and they said to him, you're wearing jeans. Go home and get changed into dress trousers. Taxi driver told them where to go, basically. Um, but they said he could be prosecuted for not wearing the proper trousers. So North Lanarkshire Council say a dress code was put in place a number of years ago following a consultation with the taxi trade. All taxi and private hire drivers are made aware of their licence conditions when the licence is first granted at a very and every renewable date. Some individual taxi companies also have their own dress code policy in place, which drivers are expected to adhere to. The council has not asked the police to carry out checks on taxi drivers in relation to the dress code or in relation to the dress code of any other worker. It's at the police discretion which vehicles they stop at any time. And the police told us they've not received any complaints either. So what the hang is all this about then? 
You know, why are the police at two o'clock in the morning stopping a taxi driver to see if he's got jeans on? You know, is it just a quiet night for the bobbies or something? Should they not be fighting crime instead of fighting fashion? I mean, some policemen, you know, fashion? Kidding. Surely it's more important that they're a safe driver and not a dangerous individual rather than how they're dressed. Tony Kenmure is chairman of the Scottish Taxi Federation. Tony, good morning to you. Good morning. Is this, all these facts that we've got here in this story, is it something blown up out of nothing or is it causing a problem for your members? Um, well, the, the three largest taxi operators in central Scotland, Glasgow Taxis, um, Central Taxis and City Cabs in Edinburgh, um, all operate with uh, uniforms for their drivers. So they're all in corporate workwear and heavily branded. Um, and it's it's worth remembering that taxi drivers aren't behind the wheel all the time. They're popping in and out of hotels and office buildings to announce themselves. So if they're if they're smartly attired and if they're easily recognisable, that's a benefit. Um, but it's, it is slightly hard to believe that this is a newsworthy story or that the police are all that interested, I must admit. That's what I thought when I was watching the story. And, you know, and, and I did feel for the, the taxi driver at the, who they interviewed and said, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning and he gets pulled over and asked, are you wearing jeans? Um, yeah. Um, what, what we haven't been able to establish is if that's the only reason um, that that um, particular vehicle was pulled over. It's not unusual for um, the police to pull over taxis and, and, and private hire cars or to approach them in the street and have a, a look around the vehicle and check, do a spot check that the, the tyres are have uh, got a good tread and that the vehicle's safe and they might spot an issue with one of your regulations, including clothing, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't been able to establish if that's the only reason that they're pulling the motor. Right. But, um, but as you said, um, there are there are regulations that you subscribe to when you're awarded your taxi licence, and you may as well um, adhere to them. But at the same time, it's hard to believe that somebody wearing jeans rather than dress trousers is a threat to public safety. In general, though, the taxi drivers are in their cabs quite a long time. And so, I, I liked how you said they're popping in and out of uh, places like hotels to get their clients. Um, not all of them do that. Come on. They, they sit outside and toot their horn and wait and you going to them. Um, but in, in general, I would think it would be far better for the, the public and for the passenger if that taxi driver feels comfortable in, in his, if he's sitting in his cab for up to 12 hours a day. Yes, a lot of taxi drivers work a long shift, um, and uh, yes, they've got to be comfortable. And uh, I, yeah, I'm, I must admit that I'm, I'm generally supportive of there being some sort of dress code or uniform code. Um, it's still a place of work, and um, you want to be looking presentable. Um, and being being a professional at anything, your your appearance, the way you present yourself, your grooming is part of providing a professional service. But, um, yeah, for 11 and a half hours out of 12, you can't see a driver's legs. So does it really make a difference what's on them? I going to say, the majority of the time you see the back of their head. <laughs> so, you know, so <laughs> Absolutely they've got, right. They've got a good haircut, it's fine. That's if they've still got hair. John, hello. Good morning, Ali. How are you, my friend? 
John Carr, our taxi driver. Right, Tony's given us a, a a bit of a view there that that may not be the only reason the taxi was pulled over, which I think is a very good point, and it could be something that the the taxi driver that was involved in that may be skirting around. But um, you, you're what, what's your dress code then, John? What do you dress as? Uh, well, I, I generally um, dress in a, a dress shop and. Uh, dress trousers, Ali, um, but only because that's what I'm comfortable in. Um, now I know that Glasgow Council has a dress code, um, but it's not always possible to adhere to it. And when I say that, if you think about last summer and the temperatures that we had, it's virtually impossible to be walking about all day, and especially driving in a car where the temperatures can get really high to continue wearing a dress shirt and a pair of dress trousers. Um, you've really got to cut a bit of slack for drivers. What's, now, wrong, what's wrong with a pair of dress trousers and a, and a shirt, John? I, I, don't, well, I, I don't understand your problem there in the summer. You're, not, you're surely not advocating you're in T-shirts and shorts. Why not? I wouldn't have I thought. Mean, it's all about well, first. It's a, surely it's all about first impressions to your customers and people that get well, in your car are customers. Yeah, but if you're in temperatures that are beyond what they normally are, you would expect to see. I mean, if you're clean and tidy, surely you can wear shorts. The army wear shorts. Why can't Why can't a taxi driver wear shorts when it's needed, Ali? I'm not saying all the time. I'm not saying. Uh, jump about in your swimming costume or anything like that, but yeah, you can get dress shorts um, when the weather is really warm, and I don't think anybody would take offence to that. Okay, well, let's open that up to our listeners. Would you take offence to that? Does it matter to you how your taxi driver is dressed or are you more concerned with his manner and the way that he safely or she safely gets you to, to where you're going. Uh, Tony, your last word on it at the moment? Uh, well, I'm, I'm not sure shorts are an issue at the moment, and um, uh, for, well, fortunately or unfortunately, we live in a climate where that's not uh, that's not too big a problem. But, uh, yeah, I think this is like everything else. It's, it's about common sense, um, and um, as long as drivers are presentable and um, you're, you're 100% correct, Public safety is the first issue. As long as everybody's safe and secure and they're being provided with an efficient service, mm. um, do, we really, do we really mind all that much what trousers they're wearing? But, uh, but let's just be presentable. But I, I, as I, I say again, I think it's hard to believe that this is really a matter for the police. OK, Tony, thank you very much indeed. Tony Kem, you're chairman of the Scottish Taxi Federation and uh, John Carr, uh, our well-known contributor on this programme, Cabby in Glasgow. What do you think then? Does what your taxi driver where, what bother you? What are your thoughts? O treble three twenty twenty four oh one. And is it really a police issue? Fashion police? Police safety? You're listening to Scotland's Talkin, the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin. So far this morning we've been talking Brexit and uh, we've started to talk about taxi drivers and what they wear, does it matter to you? And this has come about because 
Uh, one taxi driver uh, in Motherwell was complaining, complaining that he was stopped at two o'clock in the morning by the police and his dress was inspected. And because he was wearing jeans, he was told to go home and change. Um, and I'm asking the question, we've got us thinking here, does it really matter what your taxi driver is wearing? Isn't it more important that they're a safe driver and not a dangerous individual rather than how they're dressed? Uh, we heard from John there, a taxi driver in uh, in Glasgow, who says that, you know, if it's during the hot weather, it must be a week or so, uh, what's wrong with wearing shorts and a T-shirt? Your thoughts? Or treble three twenty twenty four oh one. You can text six one zero five four. Start your message with Ali. Email Ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk, and also on Twitter and the Twitter handles hashtag Scotland's Talking. Let's go to Mary. Morning, Mary. Good morning, Ali. Good morning to you. So, your view then? Well, it's, it's more or less a wee funny story itself. Could be classed as a complaint, but it's more a funny story. Uh, I was telling the researcher I attended the Royal a few years ago and I thought, well, I'm going to miss this bus, I'll just phone for a taxi. So I phoned for a, a company in Glasgow and the car came, to the horn, I went out and the guy, a middle-aged man, I would say, had like a burst cushion, uh, wearing like a, I would call it a kind of abscene that string vest, <laughs> smoke like a lump. So I thought, right, just get in it, you go to the hospital, just get in, don't get your blood pressure up. And I sat down, I said, excuse me, I said, could you please put your cigarette out? I said, it's, it's going to affect my chest. I'll open all the windies. I said, no, could you just, please just put your cigarette out? He went, aye, all right. So I flicked it out the window. Where are you going? I said, I'm going to Glasgow Royal Infirmary. You're not going to that uh, accident emergency, are you? I said, no, I'm going to the clinic. I said, so take me to the side of the clinic. I will see if you ever get stabbed in a Saturday night hen. Don't go to that accident and emergency, he says, because you'll sit in there all night. I went, <laughs> right, fine, fair. I says, can you tell me something, pal? I thought, I'll speak to the way. Do I look as if I'm going to get stabbed on Saturday night? You can never tell out that tune when you're up that dancing. I says, well, for one, I don't go up the dancing. I said, well, I'm a bit long in the tooth for that. I said, I don't go to the tune on Saturday night. I all right, Henry said, but I'm just telling you, I went and I get the tail of all from our house and Easter House to the clinics. And then when I get out, I hope everything goes all right for you, Hen. I hope it's nothing serious. <laughs> and as I said, I mean, he was a pleasant enough man, but if you're talking about dress codes, to me that was just... And I thought to myself, well, well I phoned the complaint, and I thought, oh, no, you don't want to get somebody out of bother, get somebody out of job. As I said, go up me there on time, go up me there safely. Nothing happened, but I got the tale of more about people that had been taken to the Royal Infirmary on the uh-huh. Saturday night. No names mentioned, right enough, and I could have shelled my story. It was something <laughs> Mary, <laughs> you know, I used to have a boss who, t- who used to talk about us on the radio when we're telling a story, painting pictures. Uh-huh. You've just done that brilliantly, you know. <laughs> Think of you, all of a sudden, you know, you, you're you've got this picture now in my mind. Hair like a burst cushion, you said. Now that are, with a string vest and a fag hanging out the mouth. Well, <laughs> well done, Mary. Thank you very I much can, indeed. Right, thank you. Thank Ali. you. Bye bye now. Bye bye. From Mary to Linda. Linda, how are you? Hi, I'm fine, thank you. Good, good. Taxi drivers, are you yes. one? Are you a taxi driver? No, I'm not a taxi driver. Right. But I've got a lot of friends that are taxi drivers. So does dress matter? It doesn't. Do you know, at the end of the day, as long as they take you from A to B, 
Do you know what I mean? They're out to make a living, mm-hmm. right? I don't care what they wear. I don't look at what they're wearing. Do you know what I mean? It's like you get into a taxi and you're like, could you take me to wherever I'm going? I don't look at what they're wearing. Do they look at what I'm wearing? It doesn't matter. If if something did upset you, like dress or a particular driver, would you just change companies? Would that be the easiest? Or do you use a regular company if you use I them? use regular companies. And right. as I say, I've got a lot of friends that are taxi drivers. Right. So you get a discount? No, no, I'm not saying <laughs> a, a, a dis- get a discount. But it could be like some nights I come home, I don't have like enough money to pay for the taxi. And I can pay it the next day. All right. Do you know what I mean? It's like, all right, okay. I, right, I don't. Fine. I don't know what you mean. Nobody's ever trusted me that much. Oh well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a trusted person. What, what's the most important part of, as from your point of view, getting into a taxi? What is the most important part to you, Linda? Um, conversation. Really? Yeah. Right. Right. I. I. That's. That was what I was thinking when I asked you that question. Yeah. Because I got twice recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got in a taxi from a company that I use and I've got the same driver yep. who doesn't even say when you get in the taxi where are you going or hello. He just looks at you yep. and waits you to speak to him. Yeah. And uh-huh. then not a word to the end of the journey, until, yeah. you know, until he asks his fare. And I think there are there are those that conversation can be a bit over the top but there's others that, you know, you think you should not be in a job that is serving the public because you cannot communicate. Yeah, exactly. You shouldn't be. It's an easy job for them. They sit in the car and they talk to no one all day. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. that put, that's putting me off going back to that particular t- taxi uh-huh. company. However, but I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm interesting because is it security? Is it dress? It seems that, you know, dress is not... And what do you, what do you think of the police stopping a taxi driver? Oh, that is ridiculous. Absolutely. I mean, two o'clock in the morning, stopping somebody in Motherwell because they're wearing jeans. Do you know what I mean? It's like if they've got nothing better to do. Well, that would seem the case, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like instead of stopping a taxi driver because he's wearing jeans, it's like somebody's getting, like, battered or something, go to their house and sort that out instead of stopping a taxi driver. Linda, thank you very much indeed. Got another one on the text here. It says, it's good to hear that a rapidly declining police force, steady, they're recruiting at the moment, are putting the safety and well-being of the populace at the top of their priority list, eh? My thoughts as well, I'm afraid. Uh, Stephen, no doubt, has something to say on this. How are you? Ah, oh, fresh as a daisy yourself. Ah, tickety-boo. Just sitting here going to be a laugh at that last caller. Eh? She wouldn't get any my taxi if she didn't have any money. Can <laughs> huh? I assure you? Yes. She's, she's at her line. I think so. I think so, yes. She's the streets are open. So, huh? your view then on this situation? Well, my view is this. You're running a professional taxi company. It's like the buses and the trains and the police and all that. You've got to have a dress manner, aren't I got a taxi driver the other day there in Ibrox, and he was across between giant haystacks and muzzle gummage. You know, when I seen the nick of this taxi driver, and I'm saying to myself, surely there must be some sort of dress code. He was like a bus couch, Charlie, I mean, it was terrible. But he's not the first taxi driver I've had like that. Mm. And I'm thinking, then there's that policeman stopping that taxi driver. But I don't believe for a minute, Ali, he stopped him. 
because he's dress code. I think they were, they, were, they were after him for something. Yeah. And they looked for an excuse. And I think the, 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 the red up what the, the taxi enforcement law does enforce. And I think there must be a dress code in there somewhere. And I do, I do think they said at home just get a pair of jeans. So there's more to that than meets the eye. But well, no, that, that's what I Tony, think, Tony uh, was saying, chairman of the Scottish uh, Taxi Federation. He was saying, you know, that uh, was there something else to this? You know, uh, uh, yeah. But you've got an aeroplane, this, for instance, Ali. You've got an aeroplane. And a pilot sitting there with a pair of shorts on and flip-flops and a T-shirt. I'm agreeing with you. I'm, I, I think there should be, you know, that taxi drivers are, first of all, representing themselves. They should be Correct. at least smart and casual. I don't think taxi drivers need to have a collar and tie, etc., because, no. you know, they, they are sitting there for many hours at a time. It's not an easy Many people think it is an easy job. It's not an easy job. I don't. It's a hard job. It's, it's it, it can be, but um, a little bit of pride in your own appearance never went wrong. Some of them are even. I mean, I was sitting in Bottle of Hope Street the other day, and I was watching all these taxi drivers. I mean, you want to see that? Well, some of them are. I mean, their hygiene been called into question. There is a minority getting my bad name, Ali. There definitely, there definitely isn't. No, I just think. Casual slacks, it costs you nothing. You can get any pre-mart, any of these cheap shops. You can get a uniform at a Tesco's for a fiver. No, they're, they're really they're representing that company. They're even they're self-employed. They can claim it back in tax. So there's no excuse for the fact that all guns are big, giant haystacks. OK, Stephen, thank you very much. Um, there was just a comment from Linda there. She said you don't really look at what people are wearing. I don't know. I remember a colleague of mine um, in radio. We went twice within a couple of weeks to meetings in Sheffield and we were both coming back up the road on the train and we looked at each other and, and, and it was my first time in Sheffield been a couple of times since then but he said to me what, what was your impressions I said they've got the scruffiest taxis and the scruffiest taxi drivers I've ever ever come across and he said funnily enough that's exactly what I was thinking so it does and give an impression particularly if you're in an area that is welcoming tourists Surely that's giving an impression. Here's one from Anne. She says, I couldn't care less what a taxi driver wears as long as the taxi is roadworthy and clean. Our local taxi company has cars that are in dire need of a good clean. Absolutely disgraceful, the state of some of them. Anne, thanks for that. Uh, Joyce, Joyce Stewart says, re-taxis, as long as they're smartly dressed, what does it matter? Thank you for that. Uh, Margaret, how are you? Good morning, Ali. I'm good, fine, thank you. Good morning. You. Your views on this then? Well, I think that people, the taxi drivers should be in dress code. I've got my son-in-law's got his own taxi and my son drives a taxi and they're scrupulously clean. They've even, they, I, I do agree that I have to have a, a code, a dress code, because my son often pops up to see me before he goes to work and his shoes are always polished, nice creases in his trousers, and a nice shirt, you know, it's, it's got the, it's the code, it's the mm. blue with the, the badge on it, you right. know what I mean, the crest, right. yes. So he's making an effort. Well, you know, I think, well, if we brought up to be, I always think cleanliness is close to godliness. Now, um, and that other girl on the book that she doesn't care about what they look like, well, I would never go into a taxi if, if you know, if they were scruffy or anything like that. They should have a dress code, I think. And stick to it. And stick to it. And there's nothing worse than going into a taxi. And you know this, I'm from Midlothian, and you want to see some of these taxis that sit round that rank. 
there are half a dozen of them sitting in the one taxi. You couldn't see for for smoke. That's mm-hmm. another thing. And the other day I passed one was taking his tea, fair enough, having a cup of tea, slice of bread and, and a cigarette in his end of his mouth. You know, puffing and taking it out and then putting a bit of bread in his mouth. Disgusting. Uh, my, my son's in my son-in-law's with the Edinburgh taxes. And I'm not saying because it's my son, but it's been the way they've been brought up. Mm-hmm. You just get back what you put out. That's very true. Very true, Margaret. You only get out what you put in. Thank you, Margaret, for that. Um, keep those calls coming in regarding, uh, you know, whether a taxi driver being smartly dressed makes any difference to you or not. Some more comments which we'll come to. I also want to uh, get your thoughts on... Um, Skyping your GP or indeed a video consultation. Would you agree to a video consultation with your GP if it made it easier to get seen? We'll be coming to that in a moment. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Now, would you agree to a video consultation with your GP if it made it easier to get seen? MSPs are looking at whether we should be making more use of technology to relieve pressure on local doctors as part of a review of how primary health care works. They're also asking whether we would be happy to share data we're collecting on devices like Fitbits and other health monitoring apps, uh, NHS, etc., etc. So it's, it's an interesting time, I think, because something has to be moved on as far as GPs are concerned because they're under a lot of pressure, a lot of them leaving, not being replaced, etc., etc. So I can understand them, uh, everybody looking at this situation now. Um, we're joined by Lewis McDonald. He's the uh, convener of the Health Committee at Holyrood. Lewis, a very good morning to you. Good morning. So, Lewis, what are you hoping to get out of this? Well, we want to know what people think. We can see changes that are happening or changes that are coming. It's clear that the way that local doctors work will be different over the next 30 years from the way that they've worked since the NHS started 70 years ago. We, we can see that change is inevitable, but we want to make sure that the changes that come are ones that people want and are comfortable with and can, can, can understand how they help. Uh, rather than things being foisted on patients from above. So that's really why the Parliament's Health Committee is taking an interest. The government, uh, 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 it's the government's job to deliver. But what we want to do on behalf of the people in general is to find out public opinion and make sure the government is aware of that in laying down their plans. Mm. Interesting, I suppose, because it's pointless saying, well, we can use this technology if the public just put their barriers up and say, no, we're not, not using it. But... Yes, absolutely, and, 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 and especially one of the challenges that I think doctors already face is making sure that everybody is accessing their services, especially, if I may say so, older men uh, who, who perhaps are, are reluctant to go to doctors when they should, and so uh, finding ways that don't turn people off or drive people away but actually make it easier for them to, to get the advice they need when they need it. Uh, can only be in the interest of the patients and of the NHS delivering services. I was interested to hear, Lewis, um, just recently about uh, another initiative that's being carried out in, in, for, as an experiment in a couple of practices throughout Scotland where um, paramedics are being attached to GP surgeries and, and they're being able to uh, take some of the workload off the GPs. Um, it, 
are experiments like this, are there other things going on looking forward to, to, to try and ease this crisis that is going on in GP surgery? Yes, yes, there are. And, and, and one of the things that's certainly already happening, as you say, is that GPs are not the only people you'll meet in, in your local doctor's surgery. You might meet a specialist paramedic. The, the health committee heard from one of the specialist paramedics with the ambulance service just uh, the other day who was talking about uh, working in, in a GP surgery and, and, and what they can bring to that. But there's also pharmacists now often uh, located in a surgery, community pharmacists. There are specialist nurses, advanced nurse practitioners. There are physician associates who can work with doctors uh, and a range of skills and, and different, uh, uh, if you like, healthcare professions coming in to help out occupational therapists, uh, physiotherapists, speech and language therapists. They all have a role Traditionally, we tend to see some of these as hospital-based professions, mm -hmm. but increasingly in future, uh, it's quite likely that they will be based in local surgeries as well. Okay, talking of uh, surgeries and GPs, uh, we're also joined by Dr. Drummond Begg. He's a GP from Pennycook, and he's been trying out video consultations in his surgery. Uh, Drummond, good morning to you. How, how have they been going? Hi, Ali. Nice to, nice to be speaking with you. As you were saying, thank goodness I'm, I'm, I'm just on the radio because you can't see that. You're not underdressed, I'm, are you? I'm, yeah. I, Taxi I'm, drivers I'm, wearing jeans I'm, is one I know, thing. I'm, but... we I'm wearing jeans. Anyway. So, um, <laughs> no, the, yeah, the video study, uh, VICO uh, study that we did with University of Edinburgh was just really useful to get a flavour of who wants to use it and what it might be useful for. So, you know, it's not new technology. I'm sure there's plenty of folk out there who do Skype or, uh, you know, FaceTime or whatever the, 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 the device they might use. And, and it's becoming more and more common as a way of communicating. So it, it doesn't seem uh, odd for us to look at how we might do it. Just as when the, the telephone came in uh, to my grandfather's surgery many years ago over in Kilburnie, uh, you know, we adapted to mm -hmm. new technology. So I think we learnt a lot from the study. Uh, I don't know how much detail you want from me uh, this morning, but... Uh, how did patients react? So um, some people find technology pretty challenging. And so this sort of stuff is for people who are comfortable with it. Uh, so the, the type of people that reacted best to it were probably the younger tech-savvy folk, but you don't want to generalize. There are some folk uh, of, of all ages that are really up with the, the tech. Um, working folk, I think, you know, we're a commuting town, uh, really appreciated not to do what can be an hour-long drive to sit for ages for a 10-minute consultation. Mm -hmm. So you know, in that group. Uh, and interestingly, among some people, there was a bit of a sense, uh, if you had hearing difficulties, that actually seeing and hearing, you know, so uh, we do a lot of work over the telephone. It just enhances the, the quality of the conversation that you have when you can see who you're talking to. It is almost like being face-to-face, -face, but not quite. I, I understand from... Um, you know, my own personal experience, I, would, I can understand a group who maybe, uh, like you, you're saying, work out of, out of the, the town but are registered with you yeah. um, can do that very quickly. Um, but does it really get down to the, the problem that there is still a shortage of GPs? Yeah, so, I mean, this sort of technology has been around for decades anyway. When I worked in Australia, 
we had telemedicine. It's not new. The issue is, if you've only got one doctor, mm-hmm. then you've only got one, one doctor. doctor. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter, uh, you know, whether you can get me on the phone, on the video link, or in person. If I'm not available because I'm talking to someone else, then I'm not available. Um, I think it might uh, create some efficiencies. So, for example, follow-up visits to someone at home. Uh, this is not something we have at the moment, but again, you know, as Lewis has mentioned, 30 years from now, I just don't think we will be working in the same way, and people will be much more comfortable with the idea of being followed up by the doctor over their pad at home. And that tra- so wherever there's significant traveling time, I can see us creating some efficiencies. Right. Uh, just going back to Lewis, Lewis, as convener of the Health Committee at Holyrood, where do you see that we can act- can we actually get over the shortage of GPs, or is this something we're just you know it's 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 modern society? People don't want to move into that job. You're not getting as many trained as you used to. What is that situation? There are uh, you're absolutely right to say there are issues around whether young doctors want to go into general practice in the same way that they they once did. Uh, whether whether general practice needs to adapt to be more attractive to young uh, entrants coming in. Uh, 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 Drummond and, and, and no doubt his grandfather will have followed a model where doctors are also business partners. That doesn't always suit everybody these days. Uh, and, and running a business is, is, is another task uh, on top of on top of the medical one. So, so the fact that primary care is being delivered now by different people working together in a team certainly takes away some of that pressure. But, but Drummond's right. You can't substitute for uh, GPs as at the core of that team and the core of that delivery. So uh, I hope one of the things we'll get out of this at the end of the inquiry is some idea of how to address those issues and make sure there are more GPs uh, uh, joining the profession in future and that the team around them is delivering the best health care in the best way to the most number of people. Those, mm. are, those are the big objectives. But the way we're approaching it is, first of all, to hear from the public, then to talk to the GPs and the other professionals delivering the care, and finally to pull all that together and see where we can go with it uh, and what we can say to the government about what their priority should be in order to address these issues going forward. Drummond, why is GP practice not attractive at the moment to young doctors? Oh, goodness me. (laughs) In a a nutshell. In a nutshell. Um, Oh, lot, lot, yeah, it's, 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 it, we suffer the similar sort of issues that uh, that, uh, that that a lot of frontline uh, disciplines have. So it's not just uh, doctors; it's nurses as well uh, serving in the community. Um, it, 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 there are multiple factors. Uh, the 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 main ones being that it it, it, it doesn't really. Uh, uh, it seems too challenging, I think, mm-hmm. uh, to to some uh, young younger doctors. For others, it doesn't seem to have the academic kudos. So the, the, there's lots of people looking at these different reasons. And if you actually interview young doctors, it, it, there are actually about five or six different small reasons. Um, there is a lot of work going on, though, to 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 actually display the 
essential aspects of being a doctor, which is being a detective and sorting out people's problems, and general practice has sort of ebbed and flowed with difficulties over the years, as have other hospital specialties. So we, uh, you know, we, we hope we're at the bottom, we hope that things are coming out the other end, and, you know, we, we very much have the essence of, of, of good practice that, that people should come and join uh, if they're considering a career in medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, t- multiple factors uh, and difficult to define in simplistic messages, to be honest. Lewis, when can we see some um, results from this health committee then? When are you looking to, to come out with some recommendations to the government? It'll be a while yet, Ali, because what we're doing, as I say, in the, in the short term, we're, we're, we're listening to the public. So anyone who has, of you who has experience, please go to the Scottish Parliament website, find the, the health committee page, and, and, and you'll be able to uh, feed in your views. Then, as I say, over the summer, we'll look to talk to the professions uh, into the autumn and, and, and then probably uh, take that forward. It'll be for the committee to decide really on the basis of what we hear, how quickly and how deeply we want to go into the, into the various aspects of, of the issue. But, so, so we're not in a hurry with this, right. but we do recognise it's very important. Uh, and I think there's agreement across Parliament that we, we want to see in future a shift in the balance of care so that more people are being cared for at home and, 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 and there's less avoidable admissions to hospital, less people going to emergency departments who, who can get what they need from their GP or from, from another professional in the community. So it's a really big deal that we get this right and that we do this work thoroughly. And that's what we're trying to do. And we'll certainly want to hear from GPs and other professionals as well. But at this stage, our, our focus is on getting the views of the patients, people who uh, access services or who might want to access services in the future. We want to know what, what, the, what the people think uh, and, and, and about things like uh, video consultations and, and, and other technologies, but also uh, about how they want services to be delivered in their area. Uh, and then on the basis of that, we, we'll, we'll take those Making conversations forward. forward yeah. Yeah. Lewis, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Lewis MacDonald, MSP, is the convener of the Health Committee at Holyrood and also Dr Drummond Begg, GP from Pennycook, who's been trying out some of the video consultations. Thank you both very much indeed for joining us on the programme today and enjoy the rest of your weekends. So what do you think then? Uh, would you be quite willing to, to uh, if if your GP was like uh, Dr. Begg there. Uh, you got a call and said, well, would you like a, a video Skype with him um, just to run through with him face to face on your screen? Would, would you feel quite comfortable with that? Um, what do you think? What could be done to ease the pressure at your GP practice? It's not what it used to be. We all know that. You used to be able to phone up and get an appointment that day. Doesn't happen normally. Or treble three, 2020. 401. That's the phone number. Give us a call. Let us know what your view is. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. Here's one from Debbie. She says, I can't believe taxi drivers are getting pulled over for wearing jeans. I don't care if they're wearing their pyjamas. They work long hours and they should be able to wear what they want. As long as I get home safe, that's all that matters. Thank you very much indeed for that, uh, Debbie. And who else is there here? Here's one from Liz says, I suppose Skype is a good idea for people who are less mobile or have no means of transportation to get to their GP surgery. I think that would help them greatly. Thank you. Andy, 
So uh, thank you very much indeed for putting that GP on. I think it's a great idea. Anything that makes the waiting list shorter. Uh, understand that. Thank you, Andy, very much for that. Uh, Kate's on the line. Hello, Kate. Hi. How are you? I'm fine. You? Good. I'm OK. I'm OK. Right. So what do you think of this then? I think it's a good idea, right? Mm-hmm. But I cannot master a computer. I have tried... I'm not stupid, I could count, I could read, and I'm great at arithmetic, but I can't manage a computer. So if you could fix it for me, somebody to, to learn me the computer, you'll get a medal. Do you use a phone? Yes. Do you text people? Nope. You don't even text? Nope. I don't have, I've tried it, I've tried. What do you find difficult? I don't know. There's nothing between me and a computer. <laughs> I would love to go on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I would love to do all what they do, but I can't do it. Oh, yeah, I think there should be somebody in your area somewhere that even in a community centre, you know, offers you no, the chance. Because you, I know you, you could be opening up the wrong gates, you know, because it can be a nuisance at times. But oh, I... I wouldn't let it be a nuisance. Right. If I could just, like... I'm not. I'm honestly not stupid. I'm quite intelligent, but I could do so much if I could get on a computer. But I can't manage it. I, there's nothing between me and a computer. And have you have you tried? Have you had somebody show you? Yes, I've had somebody write down everything what to do, mm-hmm. and I'm still not able to do it. See, if somebody can... writes something down for me, or I'm trying to follow instructions. It takes me a little while. But if somebody actually practically shows me how to do it, then I'll pick it up very quickly. But, well, you know... So I could pick anything up, right? Except a computer. Except a computer. Now, you could, you could sit beside me and learn me the computer, right? But I'd get so frustrated and fed up, I'd tell you to stick the computer. Mm. I think you need to take it slowly and do Are one part problem? of it at a time. One part at a time. So you think I'm a problem? I don't think you're a problem. I think, I think you know, I don't think there's anything when somebody puts their mind to it, there's nothing somebody can't do if they really want to. That's just my thought, though, you know. Well, I agree with you, because there's nothing I can't do. And I put my mind to do anything, but I can't do a computer. Okay. Um, Kate's in Dundee. Anybody in Dundee who would like to offer to, to help Kate and see if she really is as bad as she thinks she is, then do get in touch and we'll put the two of you in touch with each other. Uh, Catherine, hello. Hello, Ali. Hi, I think the crux is we don't have enough GPs. I think if you listen to everything that was said there, and I think they've got to decide how they're going to change that. At the moment, GPs are not part of the NHS. Most of them, they're not employed by the NHS. They run a private business. And um, so they there are given money by the health board, but they they then cho- choose how they decide to to spend that in their in in, in their practice. So, do you so think I, they're just not spending enough and they're trying to keep too much of it? Well, well some of um, oh gosh, <laughs> you put me in the spot here. Well, well, some some run the some run their their, their GP services much better than others. Let's yeah. say that way, and and the GP surgery I go to um, is great. That the, the, over fifteen years ago they brought in that you could phone, you phone, everybody phoned on the day for an appointment and you were, you were nearly always given that appointment. 
Right. So therefore, people are less likely to go to A&E in the first place. If you know that you're going to get an appointment on the day, then you're less likely to go. But if you if you're told, um, you know, I think it's, I think I think this is with my surgery because I say I think because I don't go very often. Uh-huh. Although I did try and get an appointment uh, last week, and I was given one for next Thursday. Um, mm-hmm. You know, could be dead by then. But anyway, uh-huh. anyway. Phone at 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Many surgeries carry this out. Yeah. Phone at 8 o'clock in the morning, and if you're lucky, you get through. If you're not lucky, you get through at 20 past 8, and you get told that all the appointments have gone, you need to phone back at 8 o'clock the next day. That is a piece of nonsense, well, because well, that is not serving the customers, no. and the customers are the patients. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, but our GP surgery had it, that if you didn't get an appointment, a GP would phone you back. Right. And they, they, had, a, they had a range of... Um, other appointments that they could then release to the people that they decided needed it. And, and so that's, there are different ways that GPs c- c- can do that. But our, our surgery has now also moved to a, a portion of pre-bookable and a portion of on-the-day appointments. But you will still always get somebody. It might not always be a GP now because the GP contract changed just last year again. So that, the, as, as Lewis McDonald was explaining, there's more health professionals that, yeah. that can phone you back. Um, so... so there will be somebody to speak to you, hopefully, if, if more GPs move to, to, to that kind of model of care, then, then it, would, it would definitely improve. But if, if we're going to st- stick about having, you know, um, Skype and things like that, I, I personally don't think that is a good idea. You're going to have the haves and the haves nots. But the lady was speaking that there's going to be a divide between the people can, who can use the equipment and the people who can't. And then there's all the issues around privacy. A, a GP could tell a lot just from looking at a person um, face-to-face and how they walk into the surgery, how they're, you know, there's lots of mm. cues that he could then say, well, no, I just want to check your blood pressure, I just want to do that. If they're over Skype, they're not going to be able to do those things. So, and, and, but I do think Skype does have a place to play. If maybe you are going to see, maybe you live in the Orkney Islands and you want to see a consultant who's in Edinburgh, you could go to a GP surgery and have a GP there who could examine you and relay the information to a consultant you know 200 miles away yeah yeah you got that yeah so i think i think that would be a it has its way. place it but... does have its place okay thank you very much indeed catherine for your views this morning uh margaret's got hers margaret good morning good morning good morning your thoughts then margaret oh i couldn't be bothered with this newfangled thing i'm 86 i can't even use a mobile phone <laughs> I don't think these things are very good because it's usually the elderly people that need doctors. No, it's not. Well, it is. Oh, away you well, go. You can't say it's just elderly people that go to see a doctor. Yeah, no, I, I don't. That's not what I mean. It's the, but that's what you said. Yeah. Well, I don't. I couldn't use these that newfangled fiddly thing. Um, I, it's not for me. And I sympathise with the lady before the one you were talking to, how she said, me, my grandsons have tried to teach me how to use emails. I've got an email, but I've, I never use it because I just don't get, know how to use it. It's, it these, these newfangled things are no for people of my age. I think there will be some... How old did you say, 80 what? I'm 86. There'll be some 86-year-olds who'll disagree with you. Well, I suppose it will be, but he's cleverer than me. <laughs>
<laughs> you're just frightened of it, Margaret. That's but what the I problem. I suppose that you've got, you've just hit the nail on the head. I really am frightened with these things. Yes, yeah, technology, and and, and there's it's nothing me, there's technology. nothing to be ashamed in saying that, that, that it frightens you occasionally. Frightens yeah. me as well. But you just occasionally got to just look at it and think to yourself, right, I'm going to crack this. I'm going like to sort it. I like to phone the doctor and make an appointment and go and see him. I can't be doing me all this. Was it Skype you call it? Skype or FaceTime or whatever you want to do. Yeah, but what happens, you know, would it not make it easier if, if you have to wait a week for an appointment? If well, they we said... where I live, I've got a good surgery. You get an right. appointment within a day. Really? Yeah. Well, good on you. That's good. Well, let's hope that continues. Well done to your doctor surgery then, Margaret. Yeah, they're very good. Okay, thank you very much thank indeed you. for your view. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, a couple others here we have here. Uh, listen to your show every Sunday and that claptrap SNP Stephen Gerken was spouting is typical of the garbage that comes out of Holyrood. Uh, this goes back to Brexit. Stephen Gethin uh, was on um, and this is from Willie and he says, is there anyone in the UK that actually thinks lorry loads of perishable goods will be held at the likes of Dover without French, Spanish and Greeks burning the place down if they don't get their products to uh, the UK? Thanks for that. Uh, quite happy with nice drivers regardless of dress. We're talking of taxi drivers again. And that comes from Sally. Uh, one from Matthew. Matthew says, I'm a taxi driver and the council where I work states that drivers shall be sober, clean and tidy in both appearance and clothing. Yes, I wear dark jeans as they are comfy for me and are cheaper to replace than a pair of dress trousers. Also, jeans are hard wearing and especially in the winter. Good point here. The taxis get dirty with road dirt and you don't mind jeans getting dirty, but dress trousers um, are a bit of a pain. Thanks for that. Um, Andrea says, taxi drivers should be made to wear recognised uniform as it would stop rogue drivers pretending to be taxis at the weekend. We've all heard the stories of people who haven't got straight, pardon me, straight from A to B. Okay, and... Uh, there's another one here that says I've been driving a taxi for 25 years and personally I wear a shirt and a tie but looking around me I see drivers that can only be described as scruffs the minimum dress code should be smart but casual as for drivers uh, talking I wear hearing aids and find it difficult sometimes to make out what people are saying whilst driving but I do my best so please don't automatically assume the driver is being ignorant Thank you, Alan from Glasgow, for that. And uh, I think the I'll finish off with this one from Anne. I couldn't care less what the taxi driver wears as long as the taxi is roadworthy and clean. Our local taxi company has cars that are in dire need of good clean. So there. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, loads going through on in the social media today on text and uh, on Facebook as well. Thank you very much indeed for your comments on the subject. As always, more than welcome. As we always say, it's about opinions and you've certainly given us yours today. Thanks to Lewis MacDonald, M MSP and convener of the Health Committee for coming on and also Dr Drummond Begg, GP from Pennycook. Uh, they were on today talking about Skyping and also to Ke Ke Tony Kenmore, Scottish Taxi Federation and John Carr, our Glasgow cabbie, who, who joined us giving us their thoughts on the dress code and, of course, Stephen Gethin and those who contributed regarding Brexit. That's it for this week's Scotland's Talking. As I say, have a good week. Uh, till next week, we'll do it all again from 10.